I'm Imtiaz Tayeb, and this is The Take. Every week, we bring you one story powered by Al Jazeera's journalism. We're taking you to South Sudan this week, the world's youngest country, located in East Africa. Our producer, Jasmine Bayumi, went there to report on issues surrounding the country's conflict, but came back with something she wasn't expecting. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, I'm Diaz. All right, so tell me about your trip to South Sudan. What's the story here? So before I get into the story that I brought back, I think I may just have to set the stage a little for South Sudan. The country's been through a lot. It's a pretty complicated place. It only gained independence from Sudan in 2011. And for the past five years, people there have been going through yet another civil war. But... Recently, things have been a little bit calmer in the capital, Juba, so it was possible for me to go there. So anyways, I went there to cover stories that are connected to the conflict, looking at things like mental health, demining, survivors of gender-based violence, pretty heavy stuff. But what struck me was that a lot of people there were talking about something completely different. While I was there, I was working with a couple of local journalists who were taking me around town, introducing me to people, helping me with the interviews. And we spent a lot of time together just sitting on the minibuses in traffic or waiting around for interviewees to show up because things don't always happen on time in Juba. So there's always the opportunity for some people watching. And during those times, they'd often point out people on the streets saying, see over there, this one's bleaching. And look over there, that one's bleaching too. And what they meant by bleaching is people who are using skin lightening creams. And the more I kept asking about it, the more they kept pointing people out to me. What is your opinion on skin bleaching? Wow, I mean, that's really interesting. I know skin bleaching is quite common around the world. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There are some conservative estimates that put the value of the global market at around 10 billion US dollars a year. And anyone who's been to Asia, Latin America or the Arab world has seen those skin lightening creams on the shelf. When I went on YouTube to look into it, you have to do it in a very right way, okay? I found thousands of videos from all over the world. I used to ask her how come she was so light and I was so dark on the topic. I only lighten my neck. Like I only lighten my neck. I do a little bit under my arm and my butt cheeks and just basically like all the little problem area but I do not like drown myself in bleaching cream I do not rub my whole body because I hate being black or because I just don't like my skin tone I just because I just do it because well yeah because I don't like my skin tone so yeah skin bleaching is a big deal in a lot of places and that's even though it's really harmful for your skin and some of the ingredients in these products have been linked to liver damage and kidney damage and a bunch of other really serious health issues. And even though it's a practice that happens all over the world, there's actually much more to the story in South Sudan. And that's because whenever people talk to me about this, they almost sounded a little bit angry that others were using these skin lightening products. And I was wondering where that undertone of anger came from. So that was the first thing that really stood out to me and made me wonder if this could possibly be a story. Right. Okay. So other than the comments of the local journalists you were talking to, what made you think, okay, I need, a, need to pick up a microphone here and start recording stuff? 
Okay, so what made me pick up the mic was all of this paired with this really strong memory I have from my own life. I was, so I was having all these conversations with people and, you know, I was editing the pictures that I was taking of people in Juba and that sparked this memory of a conversation that I had with my father more than 10 years ago or so. So just as a background, my dad is Egyptian and my mom is German. But for an Egyptian or an Arab, my dad's pretty dark skin because apparently we've got some Nubian as in sub-Saharan African ancestry in our family. So one day, in my, I was in my mid-20s or so, he sits me down and he wants to talk to me about the type of man I'd be allowed to marry. Hmm. Um, right. <laughs> so we sit down in our windowless kitchen in Alexandria in Egypt over a cup of tea. And he goes... Well, your future husband has to be one of these three main religions. He has to be either Muslim, Christian, or Jewish. So I think to myself, okay, I guess that's pretty progressive. No problem. And then he continues and he goes, and he can't be black. So I look at him and I'm, I look at this pretty tall, dark man with some African features and I say, oh, what do you mean? You are basically black, Baba. And he goes, no, 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 not like me. Your husband can't be blue-black. So basically, in his eyes, I couldn't marry anyone from South Sudan where people are are known for being really dark-skinned. And that was the first time that I realized that there was racism among black and brown people when it comes to the actual shade of people's skin. And that just blew me away, especially since my dad himself has been a victim of racism and discrimination when he was living in Germany. So this memory, paired with the comments from the Sassanese journalists I was hearing, made me think that this might be a story worth a little bit more investigation. And so that was when I picked up the mic. And the more I looked into it, the more I found that the whole skin bleaching issue was related to something way bigger than I had expected. Because, you see, the country's history actually had a huge effect on whether or not people felt comfortable with their skin color where did this memory take you in your reporting all right so when it became clear to me that this is a real issue for people in south sudan i went on one of these markets where people could buy these bleaching creams and it's not really a bustling market i think it was newly built but never completed as so many things are in south sudan And across this unpaved road, people had put up some tarp for shade. It was the middle of the day, so it was kind of quiet. And the store owners were kind of lazing around and the electricity was out, so all the stores were dark. And I went into this tiny, tiny shop. It was basically the size of a parking space, if not even smaller, with skin bleaching products that were stacked all the way up to the ceiling. Okay, uh, the the women from 30 to 35 are the... That woman's voice that you hear, that's Nancy Sereno. She's one of these local journalists that I was working with. And she was talking to Yahya, the store owner. His English wasn't that great, so Nancy helped translate. And what he told us was that, A, these creams are super expensive for most people here. I asked our South Sudan correspondent, Heba Morgan, to help out with some black market conversion rates because it's kind of complicated. And taking her info into account... Uh, Yahya's bestseller, for example, costs about 
two dollars, two US dollars. And his most expensive product is about twenty dollars. And that's roughly the same as an average salary for a middle income civil servant. And that's a lot of money. And then the second thing that he said was that it's mainly women in their 30s and 40s who are buying those creams. But to be honest, that threw me off a little because in the streets, when I was looking around, I definitely saw a lot of younger women who are using these products. So were you able to talk to anyone who buys these creams, which are meant to lighten their skin? Whew, that was actually a bit of a challenge. Because women who don't bleach their skin were really easy to get on the mic. They were super vocal. They had a strong opinion. But those who do use the skin whitening products were really reluctant to talk. And almost all the women I met who were using these products didn't want to be recorded. I can't, understand. I, I can't ask you about that. But then I ended up finding some willing participants at Juba's cultural center. I, okay, I cannot deny I, I did it for once because I just had some It's this pretty big building surrounded by some kind of park. And walking around there, you'll hear church songs, some chatter and some laughter. And of course, as always, it's the dominant sound of Juba, the relentless sound of a generator. <laughs> and I ended up talking to maybe eight or ten women. And most of them were students or working in the little shops that were in that same building. And except for a few, they all were using skin whitening products at some point in their life or maybe even now. And some said that the doctor had prescribed it against a skin rash and others said that it's pretty much no one's business what they do with their own body, which is understandable. But then I met this one woman who was just arriving for her shift at a store and she said she bleaches her skin and I asked her why. I mean, black is beautiful. I find people here very, very beautiful. Black is beautiful, but when we open our eyes, since we're born like that, we open our eyes, we know that everything black is bad. Everything black is bad. Black market, black, yeah, black devil, black white. In Egypt, they will call you like, there is a name, like Bunga Bunga, like. Wow, but, you know, she seems to kind of also be making a bit of a joke about it. Yeah, it's a, look, it's, it's a really complex issue. And it's really emotional for a lot of people. I wanted to get a better sense of how widespread the practice of skin bleaching in South Sudan actually is. So I went to see Dr. Alier Kuat, who's a dermatologist at Juba's main teaching hospital. So, for instance, if I see today 30 cases, I may get 10 to 15, they are using bleaching agents. That is just from the observation that we have. Yeah, that's a lot of people who are bleaching their skin. Yeah, it really does seem so. And especially the younger one. But there isn't any hard data on exactly how many it is, which, by the way, is a thing that I found with most of the stories I was covering in South Sudan. There are hardly any statistics. But there are few in number. Dr. Algier also told me that he's had some cases where parents were telling their children to bleach their skin and were giving them these creams themselves, which would possibly explain why I was seeing some younger women with bleached skin. Uh, and it's now a battlefield between the dark girl who are naturally dark and the girls who are light-skinned because they're using chemicals in order to be light-skinned. 
Yeah. This is Susan Kim Otor. She's an activist with an organization called Defy Hate Now, which fights against hate speech. Peace builder, peace activist. And I went to see her at her office in Juba to get a better idea of why people were willing to put their health at risk for lighter skin. And what she told me is that naturally dark-skinned people in South Sudan often have to endure a lot of commentary from friends, family, and strangers. Personally, if you have an issue with my color, you shouldn't be around me. Yes, just go find yourself somebody who's light-skinned, somebody you can relate to, if you think you cannot relate to me because I'm dark-skinned. Has it always been that way? Um, Your feeling about this? Yes, it has always been that way. Because uh, let me just give you a little bit of my history. I grew, back, I grew up in Kenya. And Kenyans are literally relatively lighter than South Sudanese. And it has always been an issue. Yeah, like, you're so tall, you're so dark, you're a South Sudanese. You're a Sudanese before we even separated. But if I really wanted to take the action of changing who I am, that could have been the time. Yeah, but I never, because mine is respond like it's always, I can't beat the mother nature. The women who bleach, I think, just want to be beautiful and want to feel beautiful. So why do you think it is that they get shamed here a lot? Because there is a lot of commentary I have heard on people who bleach. Who bleached. Um, I think, I don't know, not... Is it because of the health issues? I doubt. But because I think the black people are feeling insecure, the, the dark-skinned women feel insecure that the light skin, like a woman who's comfortable with her bleaching and she knows she looks good in her bleaching, could be more comfortable, more confident than a person who's actually dark-skinned. Even if you are naturally dark, they're not that confident more than the person who have Why? Because the society accepts them more than the duck. Even if they're bleached. Even if they're bleached. My chat with Kim gave me a lot to think about. I mean, it's pretty clear South Sudan, just like so many other countries, is struggling with colorism. When I look at colorism, I think of the concept of racism among people of color. But the official definition by this sociologist called Margaret Hunter is that colorism is the process of discrimination that privileges light-skinned people of color over their dark-skinned counterparts. A few days later, I met up with South Sudan's Minister for Roads and Bridges, Rebecca Joshua Okwachi. Rebecca Joshua? And yes. it was actually Kim who suggested that I go and talk with her. She's elegant, she's beautiful, she's very intelligent. And yes, and she's one of the people who have always spoke about women and not, you don't have to bleach in order for you to be accepted. So I met her at her office in the ministry, which was this big modern building smack in the middle of Juba. And she sits down behind this massive desk in this throne-like chair, and she has this voice It's, it's a voice that demands to be heard. If you know black, I'm black. Uh, I, I, I love my skin so much. Uh, I, I, I never like to apply things that will change it because for me, it's like tampering with it. It's like spoiling it. It's like um, uh, coming from religious background also for me. It's like the temple of God. The minister had a lot to say about skin bleaching and colorism. 
As much as I respect people's opinion and uh, their stance towards specific things, but my first impression always is, oh, what is this? And I feel disgusted. It, it, then it goes beyond the general impression. For me, it's like, is it identity crisis? Is it fear and intimidation uh, in a particular community? What could be the cause? I, I always like to research it more than dealing a blow on someone, but in general, I, I don't like it. Here, where she mentions a particular community, she's hinting at all the South Sudanese people who live abroad or lived abroad. Because many Sassoonese people fled from the waging wars at home and spent just really long stretches of time, which were often their formative years in neighboring countries like Egypt or Kenya or Uganda, which is where people just tend to be a little bit more light-skinned. And many other South Sudanese were looking for a better education abroad. And abroad, they just stood out with their darker skin color and they say that they were often treated badly because of it. And Rebecca Joshua was one of them. So have you ever heard the comment, you're so beautiful, if only you were a little bit lighter? Yes, I heard it a lot. And I heard it a lot when I was a student in so many places I went to. How did we respond to that? Uh, I heard it because first, my, my education was in several places. My primary school as a child was in Khartoum. Uh, my secondary school was in Kosti Secondary School in Northern Sudan. My university was in Egypt, in Alexandria. And, and I will find myself always, you know, if, if, if it's true, the blackest among them. But, you know, every time they say, ah, you're so intelligent. Uh, just if you were to be, you know, uh, uh, white or, or light skin or this, I, I love that, 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 that statement because it gives me an environment to talk and to preach my blackness and the beauty of my blackness. So according to Rebecca, there's a historical context to this conversation about colorism and much of it has to do with surprise, colonialism. Now, okay, most people, when they hear the word colonialism, they think about European colonialism of Africa. And yeah, sure, that also did play a big part in South Sudan. But I'm talking mainly about the Arab colonialization of some African countries. And that started centuries before the Europeans even arrived. It progressed slowly but surely and now there's this cultural divide that just snakes across the African continent. So Arab culture dominates in the north and African traditions survive in the south. And religion plays a big part too. There's Islam in the north and then Christianity and animism in the south, generally speaking of course. I know a little bit about what you're talking about, that, that this divide is, is much bigger than the physical border between Sudan and South Sudan. And it's a big reason why South Sudan fought and won their independence from the northern capital of Khartoum, right? 
Yep, they felt so marginalized, and that was for a good reason. Khartoum didn't only fail to develop the South, its goal was to Islamize and Arabize the entire country, and that was absolutely no secret. But there's something else, which is that for the longest time, the area of what we now know as South Sudan was the source of two commodities, ivory and slaves. And until today, you'll find some North Sudanese people calling people from the South abd, which is the Arabic word for slave. It's just now that people are coming to terms with this particular brand of racism. Sadiq al-Mahdi was the last democratically elected prime minister... I found this Al Jazeera documentary from 2011, which was just before South Sudan became independent. And in there, Sudan's former prime minister, Sadiq al-Mahdi, who played a big part in the Arabization and Islamization of South Sudan, he said this. But what we need to apologize for is the association in the north, in our culture, in the north, between blackness and slavery. Many of the lighter North Africans still classify their African-identifying southern neighbors according to skin color, like quote-unquote blue-black or green-black, which is exactly what my dad was doing. Okay, so let's go back to Rebecca Joshua. When we were one Sudan... Uh, this issue of you being made to feel like you are a second-class citizen uh, and, and you are from the, uh, the descendants of the slaves and uh, slavery is always associated with the black color. Uh, it, it depends on how uh, we can uh, defy the odds and how we can uh, uh, answer or uh, withstand uh, not the word oppression, but it's, it's, it's connected with oppression. But the way people will uh, uh, constantly uh, want you want to wish that you were different. All right. So I want to tell you a little bit more about Rebecca Joshua Okwachi, because she's not only a government minister and a peace activist and a women's rights activist. She's also known as the voice of the revolution, because during the war for South Sudan's independence, she worked as a radio journalist on the front lines where she was embedded with rebel groups. And that war only ended in 2005. So because of all that, she spent such a long time thinking about what it means to be South Sudanese. I, I want to believe that uh, part of our uh, struggle for liberation, of which... I was personally involved was to emancipate South Sudanese from the yoke of oppression, which came from uh, subsequent uh, systems of government in Khartoum, of which we felt we were second-class citizens. You are referred to by your color, you are referred to by your language, and uh, that could have created some identity problem. Uh, now that uh, we attend our independence, we are uh, a different country, South Sudan. And by the way, Sudan or South Sudan is Sud, and Sud is black. And therefore, I'll go back to my community of South Sudan and tell them, look, this is your country. 
you are called Bilad Asut or the country of the blacks because of your color. And therefore, you are already there in history. I think time has come now for us to realize that uh, it's our identity and we love it. So today that I'm seeing less bleached women, for me who has been inside, I believe the, the, the effect, the negative effect is fading away slowly. And therefore now remains those who still insist, maybe because of hangover, or maybe the message has not reached them. I think we are morally bound to uh, help those who have not gotten the information, whether it's identity crisis or it's whatever, uh, to, to, to get them the message more that uh, it's good to, to keep your, your, your color. And then at the end of the day, really, you will never regain that skin. It's God-given skin. It's so beautiful. And uh, keep it on, 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 on yourself. Her advice to women is also easier said than done. Because how do you undo decades of this idea that, quote, black is bad? It's going to be a long, long process. But... It is happening. So remember the woman who we met earlier who said she was bleaching her skin and who said that black is bad? Well, we only heard the first half of her thoughts. Here's the rest. You are not there anymore? Okay, like now it's not like before and I'm going to reduce, uh, reduce it until I will leave it because now I'm in my country. No one will look at me like I'm, uh, I'm ugly. They will look at me like I'm beautiful, I'm black. And now I'm proud of my skin, trust me. So that's an example of how many women are starting to embrace their identity as South Sudanese, as African, as strong black women. Just like their country, their skin is slowly starting to feel like home, if, if that makes any sense. You know, I thought about it a lot and I'm clearly not African, but I'm brown-ish. My grandparents on my German side were Nazis, and my mom is white. My dad can pass as black-ish, I guess, and yet he would in a way look down on people who are darker than him. Identity is really complicated, and, and, and it can create so many barriers between people. It is a social construct, but I also think that this trip taught me that it can be a political thing. It can be a political and a social construct with very, very real consequences on everyday life. To send you off, I have a little treat for you. At the end of my chat with Minister Rebecca Joshua Okwachi, I asked her if she knew any poetry or songs that celebrated the dark skin color of South Sudanese people. And lo and behold, she didn't only know a song, she offered to sing it. And so obviously I said yes. It's a song that she learned from soldiers on the front lines during the war for South Sudan's independence. Ya Shabab Dunya Wayasu Wari Frikya 
أسمع صوتي أنا في مدينة الكرموك. So that black soldier, he is in his country, and the country is called Sudan, and the country is named after his color, the black color, and therefore he is going to liberate his country because the country is a rich country. But uh, I think the most important thing is the one you talked about, Ejundi El Aswat alone, the black one, because this country is named after my color. بلدي بلد كثير الخيرات فيه كل الثروات That's it for us at The Take. We'd also like to thank the International Women's Media Foundation, as well as Nancy Serino, Samir Bol, Silvano Yokwe, and Mora Ajak, the local journalists who helped us tell this story. Jasmine Bayumi is the reporter and producer on this episode, she had production help from Kiana Mogadam, Morgan Waters, Jordan Marie Bailey, and me, Imtiaz Tayeb. Graylin Bashir is the lead producer. Our sound designer is Ian Koss. And we also want to give a special thanks to Al Jazeera correspondent Hiba Morgan. <laughs>